0: Waters Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray Darling Basin and Australia and recognizes their continuing connection to lands, waters, and community. Coming up we find out how the community feels about water management in the Murray-Darling Basin. Sometimes when people are getting
1: information from word of mouth, um, it may be that some of those myths or misperceptions are being replicated and that can make it tricky for us when we're trying to get people to listen to governments as a source
0: of information or ourselves in particular. And what the research is telling us about basin knowledge.
2: Really interesting thing that I found was of those that heard of the basin um, or identified as living in it and know they live in it, um, only 6% were able to identify all of the states that are in the basin. I'm your host Annabelle Hudson.
0: This is Water's Edge and welcome to the conversation. 77% of the general population doesn't know whether they live in the Murray-Darling Basin. That's despite it being the country's largest area of agricultural production, the food bowl producing a third of Australia's food supply. This is just one of the stats we found interesting in our first community sentiment survey, a tool used by the Inspector-General to get a sense from the community about issues affecting the basin. But how can we know what issues people are frustrated by when majority of the community doesn't even know they live in the basin. Well for today's episode of Water's Edge we're joined by Deputy Inspector General Bridget Leopold and Assistant Director of Intelligence and Engagement Rachel McNamara to find out more about this important survey. Firstly, welcome to Water's Edge. It's both your first time on the show. How are we feeling? (laughs) Thanks, Annabelle. Feeling good. (laughs) So we'll start with you, Bridget. Um, You're one of two Deputy Inspector Generals with the Inspector General of Water Compliance. What's your role um, at the IGWC? Thanks Annabelle.
1: So my role is Deputy Inspector General of Capability and so that includes a number of functions um, particularly focused around governance, internal governance and best practice processes in that space. Um, we also, I also look after the intergovernmental relations component, uh, which does tie into some of this survey data, and it's quite interesting. And finally, I also have the media engagement team um, within my remit, which does both public engagements but also supports the office uh, in their publications and with media products
0: such as yourself. Yeah, so you're the side of the shop, so if people are out and about at Field Days where we've been recently, uh, you're in charge of, I guess... Well, that that side of things, the public-facing engagement and That's things correct. like that. Yeah, yep. so
1: the, the side of the office that focuses on that engagement piece, both with the public but also with the governments that we work with uh, quite closely as well.
0: And, Rachel, you're fairly new to the IGWC and you're finding your feet very quickly and you've you know, been thrown in the deep end with the Arima research. Um, so what exactly do you do as the
2: Assistant Director of Intelligence and Engagement? Yeah, thanks Annabelle, it's a bit of a long name there, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, I'm really lucky to have uh, five five field officers in my team. So we are spread uh, far and wide across the Murray-Darling Basin. So we have officers in Gundawindi, Mildura, Loxton, Dubbo and Albury. Um, I work out of the Albury office, so I'm really lucky to have one of the field officers in there with me. So they are the cornerstone of the on the ground, boots on the ground, eyes and ears of the IDWC for engagement. So they are out there speaking to the community, speaking to other government agencies as well, um, and finding out what is going on and bringing that, all, that all information back to us. Um, we're collating that information, reviewing that and um, using that for our evidence base. And how have
0: things evolved with the field officer network and the engagement side of things? I mean, you, you've started a few months ago, but it, it looks very different now to how it was when, when you first came on board, Bridget. Uh,
1: that's correct. So uh, in the early stages, we were, as a brand new entity, we were focused on making sure people knew who the Inspector General of Water Compliance was um, and the functions that we had so that people knew relevant issues that they could refer to us or contact us about. Since that time, since the um, early stages, we've realised that the information we're gathering uh, does require a level of analysis and interpretation so that we can identify themes and that we can feed that up for decision-making around what we might need to do about those issues. So bringing Rachel on board, uh, Rachel's used her background in policing uh, and intelligence to bring structure around the analysis of the data we're receiving, which we collate uh, quarterly through a number of means, um, do further research onto that and provide some um, evidence and recommendations around what we might do
2: yeah that pretty much encompasses uh my role which is a is a new role to the igwc and it's the next phase of where the igwc is moving um and you know we we will be moving forward with that and um, extra capabilities within that and our team and what we can do and uh moving forward into the next phase
0: Well, today we're going to be talking about the annual Community Sentiment Survey, um, which for our listeners is basically a survey of people who live in the Murray-Darling Basin asking a series of questions about water management, compliance and perceptions about everything water-related. The Inspector General then uses that information to build up a database of sorts to help him gain a deeper understanding of the issues and the areas that he should be focusing on. That's obviously then used in conjunction with the work that your team is doing Rachel and the field officers. Um, So today we're going to look at some of last year's results because it's very exciting. We have our second survey about to commence. So we wanted to give listeners the chance to learn about the survey, what it's for in case they might be contacted um, by the people conducting the survey um, and they might want to participate. So we'll we'll just do a bit of an overview to start with of the last survey. Bridget, you were involved in getting it up and running. How did you decide what sort of things go into it?
1: Yeah, so I think it's important to start with, you know, why we do the survey, which you've touched on, which is that we're um, an independent... Um, body, so that while we do receive information from state governments and other entities and organisations, we also look to gather the information directly ourselves from individuals in the public. That means that the information we're getting isn't put through a filter of other government agencies or other entities, we're receiving that data raw. So as an independent organisation that's critical for us. We also have a a requirement under the legislation to engage with the Australian community in relation to the management of basin water resources. So um, we do that through a number of means. Field officers is one, as Rachel's talked about. The survey is another one as well. Um, And the intention of the survey and getting it up and running in the first place was that we intend to form a baseline of data and evidence that can be used annually so we can track trends over time as well. And as I said, the thought behind this survey um, is that it doesn't only gather information for the Inspector General, uh, but also gathers broader community sentiment regarding water management. We use this information in our work with Basin States to help guide them around some of the sentiment we're hearing around compliance and enforcement and other water management issues as well.
0: So the survey interviewed five main groups, you'd call them. So you've got water license holders, community advocates, active users, community bystanders, and First Nations peoples. So obviously water licence holders, they generally have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the basin and the plan and what the you know basin plan is about, but for those who aren't water licence holders, there was quite a low level of basin knowledge, would you say?
1: I think we've found that that's correct and um, I do think it's important to note that the methodology we used and the people we interviewed, uh, we work really hard to make sure that the percentages of the people that we do engage with um, is reflective of the basin population. So um, we, ABS, Data Strain Bureau of Statistics data is used to work out what percentages of those various groups exist in the basin. And we um, work to make sure that that's reflective of the people that we, or the numbers of people that we interview. So, overall, we did interview or did engage or survey over 1,000 or around 1,200 people um, across those five groups. And as you say, we find that the levels of water literacy uh, is much higher, particularly among water license holders, because naturally it affects their day to day operations or their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it means for us is that when we Um, do try and engage with people. We have a broad spectrum of people, some that, um, as you said right at the introduction, may not know that they live in the Murray-Darling Basin um, and therefore may not hold a strong incentive or drive to learn about it, right through to water licence holders who are um, often highly educated and well versed in, in water management issues. Um, So what that means for us is when we're engaging or communicating we have a really broad spectrum of people um, and that we must be mindful of that.
0: And even though there wasn't a great deal of basin knowledge, there was strong support for an enforcement and compliance element in the basin, so a role like the Inspector General, um, with water licence holders having the strongest level of support for a federal body to oversee those Rules and regulations across the basin. But what were some of the other concerns that people mentioned in the survey? Yeah. It could be around like, you know, myths or misperceptions and things like that.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of things here. So I think we looked at two areas. So we looked at support for the basin plan um, and looked to understand what the drivers behind low confidence or low support in the basin plan might be. Um, And what we found actually was was that among water license holders, support was around 48%. Um, you know of individuals that we interviewed that strongly support the basin plan Um, and likewise amongst the community it was roughly 46% of the community who also supported the intentions of the basin plan Uh, we actually found that uh, in those categories it was only around 20% of water license holders and community members who didn't uh, were unsupportive of the basin plan or didn't support the intentions of the basin plan and what we drew from that as well was that it was around 33 to 34% of both of those categories who were unsure or undecided. Um, and when we drilled down further, we found that a lot of the drivers behind that were that people don't know where to get information. Or they don't understand uh, you know, what the basin plan is intended to do or how it works. And we also found that um, a lot of individuals didn't understand the different layers of government and the roles they play, which isn't surprising because it is an incredibly complicated space.
0: And something I found interesting looking at the research myself was that um, one of the main sources of information that people go to for information about water management, the basin plan and, you know, anything like that in the basin is through word of mouth and through the community. So do you think that that's is there is that reason to be concerned because there might be you know levels of mis misinformation going through the community
1: it it certainly makes it tricky so when when as government agencies you may be trying to communicate especially as an independent body trying to give out messaging or information that's independent it can be difficult when we found that Um, government agencies I think is number five or six Mm. uh, in the list of sources quite low yeah so word of mouth um, people go to first and then um, they go to their workplace other community members and also the news and media So I think some of the risks we see with that is sometimes those stories can be negatively skewed or focusing on the bad elements. But as you say, sometimes when people are getting information from word of mouth, um, it may be that some of those myths or misperceptions are being replicated and that can make it tricky for us when we're trying to get people to listen to governments as a source of information or ourselves in particular.
0: We talked a little bit about um, the research looking at the basin plan. What other things did the research find about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so while we found a really um, a relatively strong level of support for the Basin Plan, when we asked the community about their sentiment or feelings towards water, water management more generally, which is broader than the Basin Plan and includes you know, state government, um, compliance regimes um, and decision making at state level, we saw confidence drop off significantly. So community confidence in or feelings towards water management, only 6% of the community felt positive about that as opposed to 46% of the community feeling uh, or supporting a basin plan, for example. First Nations people were only 8% confident or positive about the management of water, and water licence holders only 19%, so still higher than the other categories, but relatively low um, in terms of the confidence or positive feelings towards water management more generally.
0: Yeah, so what what are people's, I
1: guess, feelings and perceptions? In relation to this we drilled down to what are some of the drivers behind why people are feeling this way and there were some positive perceptions such as that environmental flows have improved biodiversity and that water management encourages greater efficiency but we did hear a lot of negative perceptions as well such as you know decisions about the Murray-Darling Basin are driven by political motives was a quite a strong theme that came out from the community members and that government organisations don't work together effectively to work towards the national outcome. And that's been one of the driving pieces of data or evidence that we've used to fuel the Regulatory Leaders Forum, which is a forum that was established by the Inspector-General uh, with the regulatory leaders of each state. Uh, and they get together around quarterly and we work through some of these issues that each state does in their own way because they're entitled to run things their own way. But we find that we cover the same issues or the same difficulties and so we get together to work on some of those things or how we might approach reporting or building confidence as a basin or a nation instead of at a state-by-state level.
0: Would you hope to see that by the time we do this survey next time, and there's a question around you know, um, governments not working together or agencies not working together, would you hope to see that maybe there's been a shift of the dial
1: there? Might be a little bit early. We're only in the early stages and we haven't really done any public information about that yet, but we're working towards, so on our website you'll find a metering report card which is working with the basin states through the Regulatory Leaders Forum to create transparency around the status of metering by state, so that's one of those, um, I guess, products that we're working on to provide that whole of base and transparency. We're also working towards compliance performance reporting with the states, which is really um, a product that will demonstrate the different compliance activities that the states are undertaking, how they go about compliance and therefore um, a level of public reporting that demonstrates or brings about a level of assurance of people that compliance is being undertaken um, effectively in each
0: of those states. As part of the research, it kind of broke down what some of the key issues were. So what were the top three or four concerns of people in the survey? Yeah,
1: so in relation to the generic water management question where there were low levels of confidence, we drilled down to find out what were some of those drivers behind the the lower levels of confidence or positive sentiment towards water management. Um, and we thought it might relate to compliance and enforcement, um, but actually that was not a top-of-mind concern for the majority of respondents to the survey. Um, Rather, we found the top three issues to focus, number one, on distribution and allocation of water. It was around 36% of people that demonstrated a low level of confidence said that that was a driver for them, lack of transparency around those decision-making, around allocations and distribution of water, Uh, Number two was concerns around the sustainability of water take or level of, you know, supply available. And uh, level with that was also concerns around the quality of water. So 26% of people uh, in that category both um, showed concerns around both of those issues. Um, And the third concern was that people believed there was a mismanagement of water occurring. So they were the drivers behind the low levels of
0: positive community sentiment regarding water management in the basin. Does that... Is those survey responses broken down by water licence holder, community member, or is that that's just generally speaking? That's generally speaking, and we also don't break down the
1: data uh, by state necessarily because our approach is to um, try to approach some of the community sentiment issues Um, As a basin, and we in the next round that Rachel might talk about shortly, we will be doing some more detailed surveys where we can drill down into some of these issues possibly by location or by theme over time to give us that next level of information.
0: How do we tackle these concerns of the community? Can we tackle these concerns?
1: I think firstly, it comes back to the fact that because water is so complicated. Um, Some of these issues don't actually relate to the role of the Inspector General but when you're surveying people you can't necessarily say I only want to speak to you about these issues and not these other ones because water is all entwined. So number one, we first consider whether it relates to the role of the Inspector General that we have. Um, If it's really a state responsibility, what we do is we take the data and we share it with the state governments through that regulatory leaders forum and say, look, you need to be aware that, you know, this was coming through as a strong theme. People have concerns around the transparency of decision making of water allocations. Um, so what we do is we make sure we take that information it's not wasted we share it with the regulatory leaders forum and let them know that they have an issue Um, and in that instance even the regulatory leaders forum they may need to take it back to their central government as well but we do make sure that the information is shared with all appropriate agencies even if it doesn't fall within our remit Mm.
0: because we don't want to be one of those i guess you know there's obviously distrust of government and government agencies we don't want to be one of those agencies where people go i spoke to the inspector general but they didn't do anything about it. That's right.
1: And I think in those issues that do fall within our remit, like the um, coordination between government agencies, we've identified that we do have a role or could have a role to play there. So we've taken the initiative, for example, in that instance to set up the Regulatory Leaders Forum. Um, In other instances, uh, for example, the myths that you mentioned before, um, we have yourself, Annabelle, and our media team who's working on sometimes helping to rectify some of those myths or misperceptions, or at least acting as a conduit for people to go to the right areas for information, Mm. which is, I think, another theme that came out is that 50 to 60% of people interviewed said that they felt there was not enough information about water. And I think the reality is we know there is a lot of information about water, possibly too much. But there's not one collective space that people can easily go to. Mm. There's many, 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 many websites all sharing different types And that's what of we found
0: as part of the Steady As It Flows report as well, which I think you were involved, involved with and we've done a podcast on before. That's right. So we can link that in the show notes if anyone's interested. Absolutely. Um, but it's just there's, you know, so many different uh, avenues that people can go down to get information that it can almost seem... Overwhelming. Like it's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah,
1: and trying to pull the information together yourself because many agencies have many different roles, but uh, you know a holistic approach to water information doesn't exist at the moment.
0: Well, we might talk about the next survey, which is going to be coming out soon. We'll talk about that with Rachel. So, um, what's the next survey going to entail? When's it kick off? When can people expect to start hearing from some? from the people conducting the survey.
2: Yeah, thanks Annabelle. Um, yeah, we're pretty excited. The next survey is uh, gonna be completed in this last quarter of this year. And um, we'll have the all of the results in uh, early 2024. So it's going to be great to um, have this smaller survey at the end of this year, Um, so the largest survey will be the biennial, Mm -hmm. so every second year, and then we'll do that smaller survey in between, which is great to have that continuous um, data and to see where we are with the trends and the themes.
0: So what sort of things are you looking at asking people in this next survey?
2: The uh, three different themes that we're going to be looking at are compliance and enforcement with the findings relating to the understanding the perceptions and the behaviours. The second one is the findings relating to the Inspector General of Water Compliance. So the third thing we're going to be looking at for the smaller survey is the indicators and drivers of community sentiment across the basin.
0: So thats that... Is that- community sentiment towards the basin plan towards water management in general Uh, is it anything specific so it's a couple
1: of those things and part of our role as an independent oversight or integrity agency is understanding some of the drivers of the community um, that would increase confidence across the areas you talked about Annabelle so across water management but also across um, confidence in the delivery, for example, of the Basin Plan. So we want if we can understand what those drivers are, then we can work with governments, uh, State Government and the Commonwealth Government, to ensure that either they work to address those or if we can do
2: something within our remit, that we consider that as well as part of our annual work plan. So it's a lot smaller than we did last year. They will be looking at about um, over a, a thousand people to be surveyed still. So are we still getting the number there you know, a high number. It's representative. Yeah, absolutely. So we're still getting that. It's just a smaller survey. Yeah, so
0: still just as many people being surveyed, but just fewer questions. Absolutely. Easy to get through. Yeah,
2: that's (laughs) it. So, you know, we'll just finish off the year with that.
0: And so why is it shorter than the biannual version?
2: Yeah, because we just want to be able to, we don't want to crowd people. Um, We don't want to overwhelm people. Um, We just want to be able to get that information um, when required. We don't need to do it every single year and ask the same questions over and over again. We need to um, get the big one, then do the small one, compare it and then compare it each year. So after reading all
0: the survey results of the last survey, wondering if each of you could share with me something interesting about the results or something that might have shocked you or stood out to you. Might go with you first, Bridget.
1: I think the key takeaway of the thing that stood out for me the most was while we're a relatively new agency and um, you know a lot of people still didn't know we existed when we undertook this survey, when we asked the question, is it important to have an independent federal body overseeing water rules and regulations across the basin, across all categories, we got overwhelming support for an independent federal body. Which is exactly what the Inspector General Water Compliance is. So um,
0: we'll, we'll remain in business, hopefully, for a bit longer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's positive to show that there is a community need or a community want um, for this. You know, with seventy-two percent of the community saying it was important, seventy-six percent of First Nations, and eighty-four percent of water license holders supporting an independent federal body. It's um, pretty high. Yeah, it is, and it is a strong support for the role that we play. Um, and as Rachel said. Um, you know with the survey this year, we'll be we hopefully seeing an increase in the number of people who
2: know who we are and what we do. What about you, Rachel? Yeah, thanks Annabelle. Um, really interesting thing that I found was of those that had heard of the basin um, or identified as living in it and know they live in it, um, only 6 percent were able to identify all of the states that are in the basin. And Territory. Um, and the, that's right, and <laughs> the ACT, being the least well-known. And I grew up in the ACT, so <laughs> I can honestly say when I was growing up in the ba- um, in the ACT, I had no idea that we were in the Basin there either. So yeah. I find that really interesting.
0: I actually didn't know that the ACT was in the Basin until I started working here. So it it goes to show... I mean, it's obviously... In comparison to the other basin states, Absolutely. is quite a small water user in the scheme of things. But that doesn't mean it's not part of part of the basin yeah, for sure, and the largest city in the basin, most oh. densely populated. Yeah. Um, so, if people uh, want to participate, or can people even participate in the next survey? So, part of the methodology
1: behind this survey is that the people we survey must be indicative of the population in the basin. So using the Australian Bureau of Statistics data, there is a really strong methodology of both qualitative and quantitative processes that we undertake to ensure that the results we get are reflective of the population in the basin. So there's a lot of work we put into that. um, But unfortunately, that means it's not open for the general public because people who are generally interested in water are more likely than to fill out the survey, which can skew our data. And would skew the data from us knowing how many people know they live in the basin or the work we have to do to make sure people understand um, the role that the basin plays. So no, the survey is closed um, to the general public. um, But certainly if you've got any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us or come and see us at the field days or reach
0: out through our phone number. Our phone number, which is 13 g w c or 134492. Well, thank you, Bridget and Rachel, for your first ever appearance on Water's Edge. I'm sure there'll be plenty more to come and we'll have to wrap up the next survey. Um, but as always, for anyone listening, um, if you want to find any of the work that we do at the Inspector General of Water Compliance, including our annual community sentiment survey results, you can find that on the publications page of our website, that's igwc.gov.au. And you can also get in touch with us via phone, as I mentioned before, on 13 IGWC, that's 13 Thank you so much, Rachel and Bridget, for joining us. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks,
2: Annabelle.
0: Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.